Hey, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be preaching through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So if you want to open your Bibles to there, uh, we're in a short series titled Generosity. Uh, and to put it plainly, we're just going to talk about money. Uh, and I feel so blessed to be able to preach on this because it is everyone's favorite topic in church. Uh, we just love it when the preacher talks about money. Uh, and Jesus loved talking about money too. 11 of Jesus' 39 parables are money-related. About 15% of what Jesus talked about overall uh, is money-related. So in other words, if you are doing everything else Jesus said perfectly, but you're not doing the money stuff, you're still 15% wrong, okay? So money is a huge topic in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, and unfortunately, the church has not always dealt with this topic uh, well, Historically, there have been some pretty egregious abuses. People in this room likely uh, have either been hurt by the church on this topic or, or know someone that has. And so to ground us and bring some truth to the subject of generosity, I'm going to start by discussing some money-related truths about God, some truths about us, and some truths about Jesus. And then once we have that solid grounding, uh, we'll talk about some truths of generosity. So let's go. Truths about God. Here we go. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Please nerd with me for a moment. In 2017, scientists at three separate laser interferometer gravitational observatories detected <laughs> gravitational waves for the first time. This confirmed one of Einstein's theories that he made almost a hundred years prior. It was a big deal in science, and it became a bigger deal because multiple observatories were looking at these. We were able to triangulate where in space these gravitational waves came from. And so the, the people at the observatories, they reached out to the scientific community, and they said, point all the telescopes right there. Let's record this in the best way that we can. And so they recorded it in visible light. They recorded it in x-ray. They recorded it in infrared. They recorded it in radio. It's one of the best recorded events in space history. And upon analysis, the super nerds figured out that what happened was two neutron stars collided with each other and annihilated now, a neutron star is what's left behind after a star of a certain size goes supernova and explodes. These stars weigh 7 to 19 times more than the sun. But get this, they, are, they average 12 miles across. 7 to 19 times more mass than the sun, smaller than a city. They're the densest objects in the universe that we can directly observe. A sugar cube amount of a neutron star would weigh one billion tons on Earth. God made that. And in 2017, we discovered that God had played marbles in space with a couple of these, okay? And he slammed them together. And when this happens, this is the greatest name in science. When two neutron stars slam together, it's called a kilonova. Not a supernova, a kilonova. If you are pregnant, this is on the short list of names for your kid, okay? Kilonova is a great name. And these are such massive, hot explosions that the atoms themselves scramble and become new elements. During this event, 
God created 200 times the mass of the earth, 200 times the mass of the earth in gold. He created 500 times the mass of the earth in platinum. That's a lot of wealth. Friends, when the Bible tells us that God paves the streets of heaven with gold, he's got enough. Okay? Here's the truth about God that I'm driving at. He doesn't need your money. He's really doing okay financially. In fact, everything that you own is his. He made it. It's on loan. And furthermore, if he needs something from you, eventually you're going to die. He can just wait you out. Right? So... God doesn't need what you refer to as yours. So here's what you have to realize. God doesn't talk about money because he needs something from you. He talks about money because you need something from him. And this leads us to the truth about us. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I've preached this before, but it bears repeating. We are lovingly crafted from dirt. We are dirt bags. Okay? And now you're probably offended because you might be thinking, wait, God paves with gold, but he made me out of dirt. Yep. And there's a lesson there. And here's the lesson. You can't grow stuff out of gold. But dirt, when you work it to get the bad stuff out and you tend it to put good stuff in, you can grow some pretty amazing things. So here's the truth about us dirtbag humans. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. We need God's mercy. We are sinners. Our relationship with God is broken. We need the grace of God to restore it. To get back to our dirt metaphor, we need the forgiving fertilizing work of Jesus and the steady pruning great giving grace giving hand of the master gardener that we call God because without those our lives produce little of value we remain hardened ground as opposed to fertile soil but with those things with God with Jesus we can grow and as part of that growth we can over time come to understand the economy of the kingdom of God you see in the economy of the world People are treated as dirt, and they're walked on so that some can gain more gold. But in the economy of the kingdom of God, we learn that God breathes life into dirt. And because of that life, we can bear fruit for our benefit and the benefit of those around us. So that in the end, in God's economy, we walk on gold, understanding that other things have far more value. And now, of course, as we talk about that, we have to talk about Jesus. Because he's the only way that any of this works. He's the only way that we can bear any fruit at all. And we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Here's the truth about Jesus. He sees value in dirt. From heaven, he looked at us and he said, they are mine and I'm going to get them. And all of the riches of heaven that dwarf all of the Kilanovas that could ever be, he walked away from that and he became poor. And the Bible tells us that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man had no place to lay his head. He came with nothing, naked, 
crying in the night in a stable. He was born to poor parents in a poor part of the country, and he grew up among a people that were completely lost and confused. And as if that were not enough, he grew up to bear the sin and shame of every lost and confused person who has ever lived. And at the end of his life, he was lifted on a cross, again with nothing, naked, alone, insulted, bloodied, and forsaken, even by his father. Why? So that through a depth of poverty, no one else on earth has ever experienced, we might come to know what true riches are. Why did he do that? So that you, through his generosity, might come to know the riches of a relationship with God. Why did he do this? So that you might come to understand that true generosity is not a giving of money, but a giving of self for the good of another. We are generous as Christians because God has been generous to us. We are generous as Christians because through generosity, we give people a glimpse of who Jesus is and the love that he has for them. That is the heart of Christian generosity. We want people to know the love that we have experienced in Jesus, and that's why we're generous. See, God doesn't have need from us, but we do from him. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that need. Jesus, a sacrificial gift, freely and willingly given. Jesus, a generous gift that transforms our lives through his love. Jesus, the template for our own giving and generosity. And with that now understood, we can learn some truths about generosity. We'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here's the background. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we learn of this collection of money that Paul is asking for from the Corinthians and from the other churches that he had started. And what's the money for? Well, there was a famine in the area around Jerusalem. And so Paul began a collection among churches elsewhere to help provide for the needs of those people. And so what he's doing here in these verses is he's encouraging the Corinthians. It's time for the collection. We're coming to get it to bless and help those people. So be ready. And as part of this encouragement, he tells them of the Macedonians that even though they're not well off, they have collected an amount of money beyond Paul's wildest expectations. It appears that somehow they gave even more than they should have been able to at all. And how did this come to pass? Well, Paul tells us, he says simply, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. 
There is no beginning of generosity. There is no true giving as a believer until we give ourselves to God. That is the plainest, barest truth that I can give you about generosity. Every Christian activity begins with submission to God. If you want to be generous as Jesus was, you have to give yourself to God first. How can you know what to give or how much if you don't know what God is asking of you because you don't have a relationship with him? You simply can't. There is a reason that the Bible says we love God and then our neighbor. That we give ourselves to God and then to others. The, the first truth about generosity is that the first giving we do is ourselves to God. And then once the generosity of God's love has flowed into our lives, it will be able to flow out in ways beyond what any of us can imagine, just as it did for the Macedonians here. See, generosity starts by giving ourselves to God. The second truth about generosity that I want you to know is that having the opportunity to give and the opportunity to be generous, it's part of God's grace for your life. Paul says, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. He, he calls the collection for the, by the Corinthians an act of grace. He says that he wants to see the Corinthians excel in the grace of giving. He uses the word grace three times in these seven verses to describe the giving financially to help these other people. And then he talks about how the Macedonians urgently pleaded for the opportunity to give money. This thing that we don't like to talk about in church, giving money, God calls it grace. See, now we throw around the word grace all the time. But what does it mean? Grace is getting something we don't deserve or merit or haven't earned. We, we talk about it the most when we talk about having a relationship with God. It's only by God's grace that we have a relationship with him. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. We haven't merited it in any way, but he offers it to us. He invites us to that relationship. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians that this collection should be viewed that way. It should be viewed as grace, an opportunity that they've done nothing to earn or merit or deserve. And I, and I want you to think about this because it's a bit of a different perspective than we typically have. Paul is organizing money from Macedonia and Corinth to save people's lives in Jerusalem. How is it not grace to be a part of God working in that way? What right do they have to expect that God would use something that they have to complete his will and bless someone hundreds of miles away? Think about how amazing that would be, especially at a time when most people in the world would never travel that far in their lifetime. And still God is going to use them as part of his plan to bless other people. They get to demonstrate the love of Christ and be part of what God is doing in the world at large. That's incredible. And that's grace. Now think about our church's partnership with, uh, with the partners that we have. Think about, uh, we had Mike Mercer here last week. Compassion First. Have you ever thought about how incredible it is as a church that we know about prostitutes in a cemetery on an island halfway around the world? What, what, how, why should we know that? And yet we do, let alone the fact that we have the opportunity to help them. Think about every one of those girls who don't have to prostitute themselves just to get by and get their, their family and their kids some food because of the work of Compassion First. We get to be a part of that. What grace. 
Or how about pioneer Bible translators? That dude and his family are in Africa translating the Bible in a language that has never had it. Think about the person who gets to read the story of Jesus in their language for the first time. We're part of that. We get to be a part of that. What grace we have been shown. Think about the kid at Crescent Harbor Elementary who has shoes that fit and who's laughing and running around on the playground not thinking about their shoes. What grace that we get to be a part of that. What grace. We're so fortunate that God wants to use us in these ways. This is why I hate Christian invitations to give that start with something like, for just one latte a month. Get out of here. Seriously, if our thoughts about giving start with what we have to give up, then we need to revisit our conversation about grace. Think about who you were before Jesus. Think about your bad days when you don't reflect Jesus at all. He still wants to use you. What grace we have been shown. We are so fortunate to be afforded these opportunities to give. Our thoughts about giving should begin by wondering at the marvel of the incredible opportunity that we are shown to grow the kingdom of God. What grace. And this leads us to the next truth about generosity that we have to talk about. And this one's uncomfortable. Generosity is a a test of the sincerity of our love for others. Verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Look, Jesus is generous. Every grace you have ever experienced in your life, big or small, is because Jesus is generous and he loves you. Is your love for others such that it will lead you to be generous toward them, just as Jesus' love for you led him to be generous to you? Will you lovingly sacrifice for others as Jesus, our template for generosity, did for you? Generosity is a test of this. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look at Jesus. Look at the Macedonians. Is your love as sincere as theirs? Are you as earnest as they are? And I don't think Paul is being coercive here. How many times have you been inspired by the example of someone else? How many times have you seen the faith of someone else and been inspired to step into the grace that they are experiencing? How many times have you done something, been compelled by the example of Jesus to do something that you would not otherwise have done? Paul isn't coercing. This is an invitation. He's inviting them into greater love by showing them examples of it and saying, this can be you too. Does your giving show your love for other people? This can be you too. And now so far, we've said that the truth of generosity are that it starts by giving ourselves to God, that the opportunity to be generous is grace, and that giving is a test of the sincerity of our love for others. I want to talk about just one more. The final truth I want to talk about is that generosity, the grace of giving, is according to your means. Verses 10 through 15. Paul says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year... You were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. 
Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. There is a massive range of giving ability in this room. There are people in this room who struggle to get by financially every day. And there are people in this room who have more money than they can spend before they die. Generosity in the economy of God is not measured by dollar amount. If you are willing to give and you do it according to an honest assessment of your means, then it doesn't matter if you give a dollar or a billion dollars, you are honoring God. And so often in sermons like this, pastors refer to the story of the poor widow who went to the temple, you know, the one that gave two small copper coins. The lady, the Bible says, gave everything all she had to live on. Or they point to the story of the rich young ruler whom Jesus told to sell everything and then come follow him. And he went away sad. And the challenge in these sermons is to give and give and give financially until you have nothing more. And I just don't, that's, that interpretation is neither accurate nor helpful. Let's just logic our way through this. Paul is trying to solve a problem of people who don't have enough. He's not trying to create more people who don't have enough. The stories of the Bible, the teachings of the Bible about money do not exist to impoverish the people of God. What Paul is doing here is trying to create a culture among believers to see a need and fill that need. So that whether they need or you need, ultimately everyone's needs are met. And in that way, through the support of a worldwide community, which by the way, is a mind-boggling thought. But through the support of a worldwide community, we can all have what we need. And so let me just say this to everyone in the room. If you've ever given honestly according to your means and then felt shamed by a church, this one or any other, about the amount, then hear this. On behalf of the church, I am sorry. And that was wrong. And I hope that you find healing from that offense that came. Please simply do this. Give honestly according to your means that which you are willing to give. And know when you do that three things are true. Your gift is acceptable before God. It is the evidence of grace in your life. And it demonstrates the love of Jesus. And there we are, right back at the heart of generosity. It's Jesus. Worship team, come on up. We give because it shows people Jesus. We give because we want people to experience the love that we have. We give because we want people's lives transformed the way that ours has been. Just as we love because God first loved us, we give because he first gave to us. And he gave us Jesus. We need Jesus. And that's why the first truth of generosity is that in order to start, we, we have to start by giving ourselves to God. We need the transformation that comes through the blood of Jesus covering our sin and changing our lives to do any of the rest of it. We need that transformation to understand the second truth that giving is grace. The world doesn't believe giving is grace. We need the transformation of Jesus to believe that God wants to use us. We need the transformation of God in our lives to be moved to love others and understand the third truth that generosity is a measure of love. Are we willing to pour ourselves out for others the way that Jesus was for us, and we need the transformation of Jesus to understand the fourth truth, 
that we lovingly give according to our means because it shows people Jesus' love and that is what changes the world. You see, when it comes to generosity, it all revolves around Jesus because everything of value revolves around Jesus. And now how could we not take communion? So please grab your communion stuff. Communion, in one sense, celebrates, although I think that's a weird word. I think it brings to mind the most generous act of love ever. Jesus goes to the cross to take the death you deserve and give you the life that you don't. That, <laughs> that's the template of generosity that we get to follow today. Will you pray with me over this communion? God, you are so generous. And, that, and that's such a feeble word to describe it too. But Lord, you give. And we look now to the cross. We look to Jesus. And we remember this act of generosity that, that brings about all the change and all the transformation that we get to claim, that we get to be a part of, that we get to demonstrate to the world. Lord, and all we can do is say thank you. So God, thank you. We praise you for your kindness and your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.